With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Alex Schiffer, our intrepid Brooklyn Nets beat writer over at The Athletic, is here. And we are going to talk a little bit about the big news that broke earlier this week with Kevin Durant deciding to uh, continue his arrangement with the Brooklyn Nets. The way the reporting, not from Shams, from like other people, I thought was kind of funny. It was like, yeah, he has come to an agreement to stay with the Brooklyn Nets. Do you know? Do you know what his agreement uh, to stay with the Brooklyn Nets is? His contract. Like he has a contract. Uh, it's just funny that we're at the point now where players are so empowered that they have this ability to essentially demand where things are going. But we're going to talk about all of that uh, in a little bit here with Alex. What's going on, man? Heck of a week, man. Happy to make time for you, though. Thanks for having me back. Of course, dude. We had to do it. First, though, we have a couple of news and notes things that I wanted to discuss. The first one being that our beloved boy on the show, Chet Holmgren, shout out to Matt Penny, Chet Holmgren. (laughs) is going to be missing the entire 2022-23 season with a Liz Frank injury in his right foot. Just an enormous bummer. Uh, It sucks. Like, Chet is an incredibly fun player. He's incredibly competitive. Uh, He's so competitive that he injured his foot seemingly uh, gearing up to contest a transition dunk from LeBron in a Pro-Am game. Like... That's who he is. It's, it's every. It's like the most. It, you never want to see a guy get hurt, and it's a freak injury. But if he's going to get hurt some way, it's showcasing his competitiveness by trying to stop a LeBron transition dunk in a pro am pro am game. It's just kind of unbelievable. Um, do you have any thoughts on your just general sadness about Chet Holmgren not being able to play NBA basketball in twenty twenty two twenty three? Yeah, for sure. I mean. You know, Oklahoma City obviously has a a bevy of draft picks still left even after him, but you saw what they had going with Lou Dort, SGA, um, the thin, tall kid who always needs a sandwich. I can never pronounce his name right. Poku! And and then you throw Shout out Pokuism. This is our our, uh, podcast agreement that there is somewhere between a zero and 100% chance that Poku is a good NBA player. Pokuism, the I'm high on him. I'm high on him. I I, him. I think he's interesting. Um, <clears throat> so I, I was interested to see how Chet kind of fits alongside those young guys and could they, you know, I thought it'd be kind of a Cleveland Cavaliers type year for them where maybe they could be the team with the next interesting young core that, that again, I don't know if they're making a push with the way the West is this year, but just kind of shows they're coming. And exceeds then expectations, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you see where they fall in the Victor Wayne Bignana sweepstakes or, or, or Scoot maybe. So um, going to be interesting to see how they do without him. And, and you know, 
if they win the lottery, I mean, are you still ta- are you still taking Victor to put with Chet? That's a lot of size and a versatile lineup if they do. That's a conversation for next year. But interesting food for thought given that they're not going to have their uh, their main big guy out there this year. Yeah, look, I think that Vic is absolutely on the board. I'm not someone that is – look, if the draft was held on August 25th, 2022 – I think Victor Wimbanyama would go number one overall. Um, I'm not someone that subscribes to this being like a completely and utterly done deal, if only because like Scoot Henderson is amazing. The Thompson twins are amazing. Like mm-hmm. the, there are real prospects and there is real competition this year um, because this is a really good top of the draft. Uh, what I'll say on chat, I, I want to say a few things. So first and foremost, this is Chet's first, like real injury, like real substantial injury uh, that has forced him to miss like actual time playing basketball. Uh, his body has never broken down previously. Like this, this is, this is a first, right? Uh, his injury, there, there was not like, he was not flagged at the combine because of injury history. There, there's nothing, nothing there. Right. Uh, so the, some of the comments that I have seen already are disappointing. Like I saw Jeff Goodman tweet something like, this is why GMs were terrified to draft him. I can assure you that no general manager was terrified to draft him because his foot gave out in the middle of a pro-am game in Seattle where there was like a not ideal floor uh, condition that ended up with the game being suspended because of that. Um, It's a total freak injury. Like these things just happen. And uh, I, uh, I GMs did not like not draft Chet Holmgren because of his injury history or because they're afraid of him getting hurt. Like they're, a little bit worried that his frame might not hold up over the course of an 82 game season. Uh, there's a chance that uh, they might not have picked him because they're worried about just how his frame will actualize itself on the court. Like, will he be strong enough to anchor and rebound and like achieve the tasks he has to do on the court, but him getting injured in a freak accident in uh, was Seattle, right? It was mm-hmm. in Seattle at Jamal, Cro- uh, Jamal Crawford's Pro-Am tournament. That's not the main concern here. And it, it's just not it, – it's it's foolhardy to say otherwise. I, I think that um, I was disappointed to see any comments like that because Jeff wasn't the only one. Um, this could end up being like a not terrible thing for him, I think. Uh this is always going to be a longer process for him because he needed to bulk up just to get the most out of what his game is. Uh, getting stronger is really going to help him. I think like he's going to get a year to lift and get stronger and get more physical. That's really helpful. Um, you know, I'm yeah, I'm not worried, not 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 worried about Chet long term based off of this injury. All of the prognoses with Liz Frank injuries, we've seen them before. Um, they take a while to heal because the bone is in a very uh, unique spot in the middle of the foot that where blood flow is a bit weaker and thus it takes a little bit longer, but they do heal. It just unfortunately takes a year typically. Yeah. I don't have much to add to that other than that, you know, talk about the GM concerns. I mean, 
The draft was big heavy at the top this year between Paolo, Chet, and Jabari Smith. I mean, if it was that big of a concern, you could see him maybe slide into three or four just based on some of the other options there, but obviously that didn't happen. So I uh, I did not know about that tweet, and it sounds like I didn't miss much from it. So I, uh, yeah. I'm not really concerned either. Um, yeah, that's really all I've got. It sucks. The whole thing sucks. Um, Chet is an incredibly fun player. He's an incredibly fun personality. I think that like people would have really gotten to know him a little bit this year, just in terms of his mentality and his confidence level. And, you know, we started to see flashes of it during the draft where, um, he'd say things like, uh, who's the best, someone would ask him who the best player in the NBA is, and he'd say me in three months or something like that, right? That's just who he is. Like, he thinks he's, you know, just absolutely awesome, and he think, he's just so competitive. It's not, it doesn't come from, like, a negative place. It just comes from, like, a place of being the ultimate competitor. And, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Let's uh, let's move forward. Let's talk about this Patrick Beverly for Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson deal. Uh, interesting move. It feels more than anything like it's the first domino for where the Lakers are going. And I thought you brought up an interesting point that it could be the first domino league wide uh, with everything. So, you know, what, what did you think of this move when you saw it? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Lakers were holding out hope for Kyrie Irving. That appears to be moot now with, with the Kevin Durant news, which we'll get to in a minute. And, uh, you know, I, I never really thought the Lakers were going to stand pat going into this year, given how much is at stake and how much, how, you know, you heard them about Buddy Heald and, and in the mix for some other stuff. So I never really bought into the idea that it was Kyrie or bust for the Lakers offseason. And uh, with the Kevin Durant dust settling now, you know, there may be now some talks picking up on his end. Um, what happens to Russell Westbrook? So. I wasn't really surprised. I, I'm selfishly, as someone who has covered so much drama in the past three years, rooting for Russ and Pat Bev to stay on the same roster, given the history there. Mm. But uh, I, I, if anything to me, like I, I don't think the Lakers make that deal, given all the other drama they've had on their own, without the indication that Russell Westbrook might be moved next. So I don't, as you said, I don't think, I don't think this is it in terms of transactions for the Lakers and for league wide. Now that now that the main news is. Uh, is out of the way with Kevin Durant. That, that being said, I don't think Pat Beverly ch- moves the needle a ton for the Lakers. You know, he's 34, hasn't made an all-defensive team in a few years now. So I, he's a piece, but... So what I would say is the only reason he moves the needle for them is because they're like 3 through 15 rotation is what it is right now, right? Mm-hmm. Or even let's say four through fifteen rotation. If you do, if you want to include Russ at number three, um, they, I don't know what their front office was doing this summer, but they acquired a lot of guys that are like very questionable shooters to put around LeBron. So last year they had four guys that made uh, at least thirty six percent of their three pointers while taking at least 200 attempts from three. It was Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, Avery Bradley, and Wayne Ellington. None of those guys are on the roster right now. And really, you can say the only two that like you really could consider wanting back are Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony. But mm. the rest of the roster outside of LeBron shot like 32 33% from three last year. And like they would have been dead last in the league. So they went out and they got Lonnie Walker, 
who shot 30% from three, probably a little bit better of a shooter than that, but still like isn't entirely consistent from three. Uh, Troy Brown shot 35 from three, but another guy that is not a particularly consistent shooter or a guy that teams close out on from three. Uh, Thomas Bryant, who over like a 50 game stretch in Washington shot 40% from three, but then last year when he returned from his ACL injury, shot 28% from three. And then Juan Toscano-Anderson, who's like a 32% three-point shooter. So I think there was a real case that, as we talked about with Jovan on the last episode um, that wasn't with spins, this was maybe the worst shooting roster in the NBA. And with Patrick Beverly, you at least get a guy who's going to make 38% of his four Mm -hmm. to five three-point attempts per game. And that's really important for them. Like they needed another guy that could consistently get closed out on that will consistently space the floor. I also think Pat is like kind of an underrated decision maker. Uh, he had a three and a half to one assist to turnover ratio playing as a secondary ball handler last year. Um, he's gotten better at that. Like he is someone that is reliable if you need him to make quick read decisions uh, on the court. And then on top of it, uh, he obviously just gives you a real defensive intensity. Uh, that this is how the Lakers won the title in 2020. They won it on the back of defense and toughness. They didn't like, look, obviously they won it on the back of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but you look at everyone else on that roster, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Alex Caruso, mm-hmm. guys like that. It was guys that were physical guys that weren't afraid to just absolutely dole out some shit. And I think that Pat Bev helps them in that regard. Um, having said that, like, I wrote a story for the website today about the deal. I think it was something like this was necessary for the Lakers. Mm -hmm. But like, I also like the fit of Taylor Horton Tucker in Brooklyn. What what do you think of Taylor Horton Tucker? Or I'm sorry, in Utah, not in Brooklyn. Um, What do you think of Taylor Horton Tucker? No, you know, I've been a THT fan for a long time, actually. Missouri student there and he was one of the few recruits to regularly pick up the phone for me so that always as, as you should know that that always gives you a special place <laughs> in their heart um you know i i like it in the sense of that he's you know utah's rebuilding i like will hardy a lot as a coach you know i i know a lot of people that have worked with him and speak very highly of him so i, I think that from a development standpoint and him having you know less pressure and and more flexibility in what he can do i think will be good for him um I'm also curious because of Donovan Mitchell still being on the roster, you know, are they going to play them together? Is he going to be his backup? You know, what are they, what's that going to look like assuming they start the season with Donovan on the roster? So I, I like it for a lot of reasons for him and, and Stanley Johnson too, you know, um, he was a good little, you know, feel good story last year. I feel like with the way he kind of, yeah. I think he started on 10 days and then worked his way back into a full contract. He's another one, you know, young guy that, didn't work out from the first few years in the league. And now here he is kind of, you know, making a second act for himself. So, I think he's got a stable job in Utah, given given what they're about to or appear to be going through with with a rebuild. So I uh, and it doesn't cost the Lakers either their first round picks either. So that gives them some flexibility to do something else now in the coming weeks before training camp. So overall, I, again, I'm still a THT believer. I know you know he he has battled some injuries and some and some other stuff throughout the past three years, but uh, I I like to fit in Utah, especially given the the stakes are lower. Yeah, so the front office stuff worth noting here. Uh, obviously, the Lakers did not give up their 2027 or 2029 first round picks. Those are the two that are available to be traded that they have access to. Um, you know, that gives them further flexibility down the road. Uh, on top of that, they also have uh, 
now an extra roster spot because they traded two for one, which could help them in a Russell Westbrook trade uh, moving forward for the jazz on the cap side. Taylor Horton Tucker is on essentially like a two year, $20 million deal, $21 million deal, something like that, where he has an opt out at the end of this year. So if he plays really well, this could just be a tryout for Taylor Horton Tucker elsewhere. But look, it seems like Utah and Tony Jones reported this, that they're happy to go into the season with Donovan Mitchell on the roster. Mm-hmm. It seems like Donovan Mitchell at some point in the next year, let's say will be traded because you don't want to sit in the middle in the NBA. And that's where Utah would be with this roster with Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, Clarkson mm-hmm. like, they would just kind of be in the middle and that's not, it's not where you want to be in the NBA. So I would assume at some point in the next year, they're going to move Mitchell and they're going to probably have real on ball opportunities for someone to step into. Taylor Horton Tucker is a bad off ball player right now. Mm -hmm. He was not an effective rotation player for the Lakers this year because he struggled to play with LeBron because he is not a good shooter. He shot 28% from three this year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and he's not a good defender right now. I know that Frank Vogel talked up the idea of him being their stopper, right? Him being their energy defender. He's not that guy. He's 21 years old and he doesn't know his rotations yet. And frankly, like, I think he could probably stand to get into like a little bit better condition because his feet are not quite quick enough just to like stick in front. I know he has this very unique frame and he's six foot four with a seven foot one wingspan and 235 pounds. And that's what like makes scouts continue to like be so enticed by him. Right. Because Mm -hmm. look, like I just wrote 2000 words today talking about like why scouts are enticed by him. Right. And I'm still really interested. And it's because it's hard to find guys that have that size, that length, that kind of strength that have real dexterity on the ball. Like he's shifty. He has the ability to create plays with the ball in his hands. Like if you get him going downhill off of a dribble handoff, he can make some shit happen, right? Like he's a good live dribble passer. Uh, He is improving in terms of his craft as a finisher at the basket. Like he's not a very vertical athlete, but he's figuring out his footwork to be able to finish around guys below the rim and use that length to his advantage and extend and finish. Right. Um, He's a fascinating player. And look, if he doesn't improve off the ball, like as a shooter, as a defender, he can't make an impact off the ball. Like there's a very real chance that he might end up in China in two years. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just be real with it. Right. Like he, he could end up being like a nothing burger. For Utah. Yeah. But his ability on the ball is real and that has real upside. And if you're Utah at this point, and we assume at some point in the next year, once they get what they want for Donovan Mitchell, that they're going to be rebuilding in some respect. These are the flyers that you take, I think. These guys that have real on ball skill that might be able to either be trade assets or have high upside, because I do think Horton Tucker has high upside. It's just his floor is very low as well. Yeah, I agree with all that. And you know, you talk about Utah's roster right now between Mitchell, Clarkson, Conley, as you as you were saying, I mean, they have a lot of ball handlers right now. 
I'm not trying to put the cart in front of the horse, but they're an interesting team to me in two ways. I mean, the, how much does their phone ring now in the next few weeks now that we said that we should see some more transactions as a as a sell-off could potentially begin? And if not, and they go into the year with these guys, I think Jordan Clarkson would be very appetizing to a contender at the deadline. Same thing yep. with Conley. You mentioned Bojan. Like, they have a lot of pieces on their roster right now that if they want to have a fire sale, like their phone will keep ringing for, for a number of their guys. So hypothetically, as they get rid of some of those guys, his responsibility and ability to handle the ball, and as you said, kind of improve his own stock and, and increase a potential market for himself next year if he wants to opt out is there. So what Utah does from here will be interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, look, this might end up being nothing for Utah. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker might not be worth anything. And they have Stanley Johnson for a year. And then, you know, he still can't really shoot, which is a problem, which is why, mm. you know, w- while it was a nice story last year that he kind of emerged and earned minutes, he's still like not really a guy that you compare with LeBron um, and make it work really because look, everyone that plays on a roster with LeBron James outside of the second superstar is a three and D guy. Basically that just Mm -hmm. is what LeBron and his force of nature turns you into as a player because you're just not going to have the ball as much. So that's why Pat Bev works a little bit better. He's just a better fit, unfortunately for uh, the Lakers and for Taylor Horton Tucker, but I think Taylor Horton Tucker is going to get a real opportunity here in Utah. Okay, let's get to the meat of this podcast. The Utah Jazz or the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, came to an agreement in a meeting with Kevin Durant earlier this week, apparently. Uh, Alex, do you just want to give me the details on what happened here with Kevin Durant and the ownership, front office, coaching staff of the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, you know, they uh, two weeks after Kevin Durant told Joe Sy in London before attending a Travis Scott concert with James Harden, uh, he wanted – to have Steve Nash and Sean Marks fired if he were to stay. Uh, those parties sat down again in Los Angeles. A lot of frequent fire miles for uh, for Kevin Durant and Joe Sienko past few weeks. And he they sat down with Joe's wife, Claire, as well. Sean Marks, Steve Nash, and uh, agreed to go forward. Uh, this was released in a tweet Monday with the Nets logo and Kevin Durant's boardroom logo right next to it, which has been interesting to some people. And uh, now here we are. We're, you know, about a month from, I think Nets Media Day is a month from tomorrow. And uh, now it's the uh, Big E3 of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons with what I think is a pretty deep team around them. You have three shooters and Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Seth Curry. Do we see a trade for one of them given the redundancy in the coming weeks? Um, Nick Claxton and Dayron Sharper, they're alone bigs. There was a report yesterday linking them to Tristan Thompson. Royce O'Neal, speaking of the Utah Jazz, who they traded a first-round pick for. Um, all of a sudden, this team – I'm missing one other person, but all of a sudden, this team's 10 deep is pretty dang good, assuming they can coexist, stay healthy, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think the kumbaya was more or less the Nets weren't willing to trade Kevin for uh, for anything less than, you know, an all-star or two back in a bevy of picks. Uh, they didn't want to rebuild. They can't really because of the Houston situation with James Harden and that trade. 
And uh, I think both sides kind of looked around a bit and realized this was sticking together was the best option for each other. Yeah. Yeah. I have kind of been a proponent of this Nets roster for a while now. Like, I think you can go back. I think in our first conversation earlier this offseason about this, like, I literally said, I kind of sneaky love this Nets roster mm-hmm. and think they're actually good. Uh, I, look, this is so dependent on what Ben Simmons can be, right? Um, if Ben Simmons can come back, be the Ben Simmons that we've seen previously, defensive stopper, you know, at times primary, probably more secondary ball handler that also kind of morphs into a screener and, you know, fills all of the gaps and all of the holes around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, Uh, all of their shooting that surrounds Ben Simmons between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who are two of the all-time shooters in NBA history, uh, along with Joe Harris and Seth Curry, who are two of the all-time spot-up shooters in NBA history. Uh, Obviously, Patty Mills as well. Patty Mills is there. Um, you know, TJ Warren, nice little reclamation project, potentially. TJ Warren is a really good Really, really good project. Obviously, Cam Thomas still exists on this roster. Um, you know, it's a good roster. Royce O'Neal shoots 37% from three. It's a good team. Like, this is an actual good basketball team if Ben Simmons comes in and can be what Ben is capable of. Uh, I think this... I think they have a chance to win the title. Like, I'm just going to say it. I think they have a real chance to win the title. I don't know. Like, they'd be in my top 10, but I think it's wide open enough this year to where being in the top 10 gives you, you know, like a 5% chance to win the title this year, basically. Uh, and that's that's crazy that we were – this thing almost got broken up if Kevin Durant – decided that he wanted to leave and they got the right offer, right? Like at any time in the last couple of months, the Brooklyn Nets could have gotten an offer from a team that made them go, oh shit, like we kind of got to take that, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of got to move on and move forward. But it didn't come. And because it didn't come, they're in an awesome spot. Like they're, this is a good team. It could totally blow up and I could look fucking dumb in, you know, Two months, right? Three months once the season starts and they play like shit. But like on paper, on paper, this is an awesome team. And I'm super excited about the way that all of these pieces fit together. I I essentially wrote the same thing that you just said in both my stories this week. On paper, they look deeply – I I would argue on paper this is the deepest team they've had by far under Steve Nash. And that includes – and we never really got to see this team because of the James Harden trade and Spencer Dinwiddie's injury. You know, their top 10 opening night 2020 was Kyrie, Kevin, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown. Like, that's a pretty good 10 deep. But again, we never really got to see what they could be um, because of the James Harden trade. But they have the 3 and D wing that they, in Royce O'Neal, that they've been lacking and it's shown. Um, Ben Simmons is extremely versatile. How they use him is going to be fun. Um, we talked to Joe Harris was a big missing piece last year for that. Yeah. You know, the, the Joe Harris arc has been really interesting to me because, you know, he resigns in that 2019, 20 off season and every, all the fans are like, Oh, thank God. And then, um, 
He was the most reliable player in that year full of injuries. He had that amazing game against the Celtics game two, and then a bunch of people blamed him for the Bucks series loss despite injuries to Harden and, and Kyrie. Right. And then, you know, I, my Twitter mentioned it full of trade Joe Harris, and then he gets hurt early last season in Oklahoma City, and they clearly missed the spacing given that the non-shooter heavy lineups they were deploying with Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, DeAndre Bembry at the time, all those guys. And so now it's back to Joe Harris' appreciation um, I, I think a lot of credit on two fronts here. In May, he talked about not giving Kyrie a long-term contract or being non-committal and trying to get back to the organization's roots. You know, he stuck to his guns. He risked losing both Kevin and Kyrie, as you said, if the right offer came across the table. He still built the roster expecting to keep everybody, and now he's coming into the season with both guys on board, you know, after some some negotiations and whatnot. And now, as you said, they could win the whole thing hypothetically – I am not into the whole, like, let's see where they stack up against Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, all them, because we haven't seen this team play, and I've looked too stupid before with some of this stuff, given all the stuff that's happened here. But given their rotations, given all the different ways, you know, some of the rumblings I've heard from, you know, potential free agents and everyone that's met with the Nets, Steve Nash has talked about changing up the system a bit. I mean, you talk about those seven seconds or less Sun teams he was on. I mean, they can hurt you so many different ways offensively with this team. We talk about Kevin and, and Kyrie. You can have multiple ball handlers with Ben and Kyrie. Uh, TJ Warren, you know, bubble TJ and before the foot injuries, he's a great mid-range shooter. You saw even at his older age what LaMarcus Aldridge gave them as the mid-range uh, guy last year. They can and, – and again, all the shooting with Seth – Patty and Joe with the spacing, they can hurt you so many different ways. But I want to see it first. I think they're going to have a top five offense. Like, I'm not actually real concerned about that. Like, I, yeah, I think they're I, going to be I'd awesome put money on that today. On yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question for me is how do they get stops? Uh, Nick Claxton is a developing defender, uh, has a real chance to be good at some point, isn't quite reliable enough yet for what they need like out of a starting center all the time Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe he will be this year like that's a real possibility uh kevin durant's a good defender obviously Mm -hmm. uh ben simmons is an all-world defender but all of their perimeter players are below average to average outside of royce o'neal and i'm a little bit worried that this could turn into like a Utah jazz situation without Rudy Gobert where like, you know, you have Kyrie, you have Patty Mills, you have Seth Curry, you have Joe Harris. None of these guys are particularly fleet of foot or big. And it could just end up being a situation where it's just like a revolving door toward the rim. And Ben is just like constantly trying to like sag off of his guy and help. Like, I feel like that's almost how they have to play Ben Simmons defensively this year, just because they have to have him kind of helping everyone and like rotating off of everyone in order to shut down those driving angles that are going to exist. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what they do defensively just because, you know, the past few years it's been, um, it's been the switch everything defense that, you know, Steve got from Mike D'Antoni, who obviously was an assistant his first year. And as you said, they, I, I think the roster is a bit better defensively, especially given Ben being healthy, but you know, Bruce Brown was one of their better on ball defenders. Obviously, they let him go yeah. to they let him go to Denver without even using their ta- uh, taxpayers exception. I think he's going to be missed on that front. And again, he would have been another nice little wrinkle into the offense with that short roll. But 
he he's gone and they have you know six roster spots they can use between for training camp obviously you, you don't carry all those guys going in the regular season but the kind of guys that they seek out i mean there's been rumors about them going after a big but you know I mean, who's out there that's going to really change that defensively? You know, DeMarcus Cousins and Tristan Thompson, to me, would be good veteran additions with playoff experience, but defensively, not much there. So, and also the injury concerns, especially with DeMarcus, given all the injuries this team has had. Um, I don't know who's out there at this point in the market that they could get, but I, I one of the things I wrote, too, was, you know, they, they probably got hurt in free agency with some of these guys who just saw what was going on in Brooklyn were like, yeah, I'm good. And now all of a sudden yeah. they're they're an attractive destination again. So I think that helps them at this stage in the market. But I just don't know who's out there that can really kind of going back to my Pat Bev point. But as you said, he, he's a good fit for what the Lakers need. I don't know who's defensive oriented out there and that should have already had a job by now that's that's worth going after that can help them with that. So w- what they try to do to hide that, as you said, and – is there anyone that, that maybe is a pleasant surprise for them defensively? You know, I, I wouldn't expect Cam Thomas to be that guy. Or, uh, you know, David Duke is only so big. He's he's limited, I feel like, in who he could switch on to if he were to uh, re-sign in that two-way spot or whoever. I just – I don't know where else they can really upgrade in that department. And, and again, you know, they only have Dayron and Nick as their true bigs on the roster. So you have to assume they're going to add another center or something like that. And, again, I the, the defensive part – remains the most interesting thing with them to me because offensively even the past few years it can run itself well and the annoying thing for them is like so miles turner like just immediately stands out as someone who has a similar size contract to joe harris and you know maybe is available potentially like the problem is they can't move any picks because yeah they have what they have a pick this year swap houston yes yeah, they don't have a 2024. They have a swap in 2025. They don't have a 2026. Uh, and then they I have think a 27 what, they have from like, Philly. Yeah. Yeah, they have two they use in 23 in the O'Neill trade. Yeah. So, like, they theoretically, I guess, could, like, move out a way future pick. But I don't think I want to do that if I'm them, knowing that this entire thing could go to shit very quickly if – things break wrong so yeah like i don't know if they're getting a difference maker but there are typically enough bigs on the market like yeah go ahead sign tristan thompson like it makes i don't know how much of a difference maker he'd be but like he'd at least be like a veteran that exists i I do wonder if there is someone out there though where they could maybe find find the right guy you know yeah, I you know I I'm curious if they make a trade who would go because Joe Harris has the most money in terms of salary that could bring back an impact person as you said. Um, I was told throughout the summer they're not trading Joe Harris. He's the team's longest tenured player. You know, oh they love Joe. They yeah, love him. I, I think they would try. Yeah. You know, the the one interesting one to me, and you know, Patty Mills goes way back with Sean Marks. Obviously, the Nets are like Spurs East, given given the ties to the organizations. Seth Curry's. In his last year of his deal, it's a great team-friendly deal, and he was huge for them last year, especially when Joe was absent. He's the one I wonder about. But, you know, he's only making I think eight point five million this year, so you can't really get a ton back. And they, they they've let some of their yeah. exceptions expire. I think the only one they have left is like the one point six million dollar exception, which obviously isn't going to get you much anyway. So I don't I don't know what they what they do with all that, but. To me, if if I had to pick a and, and the other thing about Patty Mills, aside from the Spurs ties, 
he's known Ben Simmons family since they were all in Australia right. together. So, you know, I, I would not move Patty Mills. And for, for what it's worth, I think they can't move Patty Mills until December, at least. Right. Yeah. They, they re-signed him. And again, I, I think Patty is too key. You know, Sean in that May press conference, going back to, we talked about culture guys. Patty Mills is maybe along with Joe, two of the best culture guys on the team. And I think that there was a void of that the past few years, I think Jeff Green was someone that's really missing the locker room last year because if you look at the roster, he played with just about everybody beforehand, including James Harden, Blake Griffin. He was the guy during that crazy 2020-21 season when they signed somebody, he goes, look, here's how you play alongside each of these guys in addition to being a locker room president. So I feel like if a shooter were to be traded, Seth Curry's the odd man out. But again, going back to your point, asset-wise, they just don't – I mean – you know, there was the report before the draft camp Thomas was on the market for a first round pick. Like they didn't get that deal, obviously. So I don't really know what else you move in terms of getting yeah. a deal done to bring back someone. As you said, Miles Turner makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm trying to think who else off the top of my head, but there's, I mean, there's I mean, just here's, not a lot out there. Here, here's a name I would give you. Like, does Daniel Tice make sense? Hmm. Like, because Daniel Tice's deal lines up pretty closely with Seth Curry. I wonder if that could be one where, like, look, Boston has a ton of bigs, obviously, Robert Williams, Al Horford. Um, you know, may- maybe Tice could actually help Brooklyn. And if, you know, they have, if they, you know, maybe they want shooting with Seth Curry, something like that. Like, I think Seth Curry's a better basketball player than Daniel Tice, but I wonder if, like, they just find that they desperately need the, like, big inside that can be reliable on defense. Yeah, that's an interesting name. I, I could see that happening. Um, I'm trying to think. He He's the only one I can think of off the top of my head with that kind of salary and everything that, that would make sense from a fit and money perspective. After that, you got to start getting creative, whether it's a three-team deal or because even you know we we talked about the Miles Turner thing. Hypothetically, you couldn't swing straight up. Um, you need to attach some assets, especially I think on the Nets end for a Miles Turner, Russell Westbrook, Joe Harris three team deal or something like that. You need some more uh, ornaments to probably get that something like that in the works. So I well, uh, here's here's here one more is uh, Nerlens Noel. His deal is actually pretty close as well. That that yeah. could work. He um, he's a defensive oriented big too, as you said. I mean, Nick Claxton's a, becoming that, but but further along, I think you'd get Nerlens Noel as that. So I that one makes more sense to me in terms of just a, they don't need an offensive guy, defensive oriented. Um, I think he's been relatively healthy over the years, so uh, I I I think he Nerlens has not been relatively healthy, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying. He hasn't crossed past much since, obviously, outside of the Knicks. I haven't seen much of him, especially when he was on the Thunder and everything. But from the defensive yeah. and the rim protection standpoint, which they've really lacked, especially, I think that he would help them there. Especially if they want to be a little bit more switchable because Nerlens does have exactly. good, real foot speed, like the exactly. ability to protect the rim. He's better in a drop coverage setting now, but you know he has the capability of at least running a switch scheme if necessary. Yeah, like that. they have some options on the market for bigs, basically, uh, if they really want one. And I'm excited about this Nets team. Now, now the question is, like, how quickly could this go to shit? And if it goes to shit, like, do, do we just see, like, Kyrie move? Do we see Kevin move in the offseason? Like, it, it feels like Kevin probably will be there for a year at least, right? 
Like it yeah. feels like moving forward, like they're not going to swing a midseason trade for Kevin Durant because that feels almost like impossible given what their ask was this year uh, in the off season for Kevin Durant. So I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm tentative. I'm excited about this Nets team. Like I, this in like, this could be like a, nobody believes in us Nets team. Like there could be some real like mentality. Like I, I don't know, man. I'm in. Uh, I'm excited about this Nets team. You know, it's interesting. I got a phone call from somebody um, the day, yeah, Monday, the day that, um, or no, Tuesday, the day that the uh, the Kevin news happened. I got call, let, let's call them someone with ties to the organization. Um, they were called me while they were drinking wine. I was still finishing my story. I was kind of jealous because I could use a glass. And he said, uh, he goes, "We're going to win this year." I said, "Why would I believe that?" He goes, "Think of all the key players." that have fires lit under their asses. You have Steve Nash, who's yeah. coaching for his job. You have Kyrie, who needs a long-term deal and also doesn't have yeah. the Nike money right now to come off of. Ben Simmons has been tarred and feathered through you know, the public the past few years. He should be motivated. Kevin Durant needs to prove that this is um, that he can make this work in Brooklyn, and given all the, the shots he's taken in the, uh, the offseason, he's going to be motivated. And Sean Marks and Joe Sire are going to be motivated to prove that they can, you know, re um, words slipped out of my mouth, but essentially, you know, steer the ship out of muddy waters that they've been in this whole summer. So, you know, it, it's an interesting argument. I've kind of wondered too. You know, again, every, you know, everything that could go wrong has ha- has gone wrong for the Nets since I've been on the beat. <laughs> I've kind of wondered yeah. to go to your point. You know, I thought John Hollinger before this got resolved had a very interesting idea because you mentioned the pick swap with Houston. Do they try to tank for a year? And get a Scoot or a Victor, or whoever you know, try to land a top five pick, even while Houston's still rebuilding. But he even said, and I agree with him. I, I, I talked to him right after, you know, just that was going. That's a tough sell and a tough thing to pull off. Um, the I mean, reason the that's not a really tough sell for that is that results in Sean Marks and Steve Nash being fired, probably. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's no way that you can do that. I don't. But think. but what I do wonder about is if this goes awry. For whatever reason or another, you know, I mentioned Seth Curry's an expiring, Kyrie is an expiring. The deadline could be interesting just because, you know, if Kyrie is played a lot, stayed healthy, and been a monster, is there a contender like the Lakers who maybe still has their assets again and we can't predict the future? Is there a team that looks at him as like the final piece for a deep run and they give the Nets a, you know, a decent package for him as a rental? Same thing with Seth Curry, I think would make a good rental. So I, I've kind of wondered just, Again, I, I would like to see this play out in real time before I, I go there, but even thinking about the roster out loud, I mean, they've needed every roster spot because of COVID. I feel like every roster spot's more important now than it was before, given you don't know when an outbreak's going to happen and who could be playing. But uh, if, they, if it goes bad, what the doomsday scenario is, or do they trade some of these guys? Are we back here in a year with Kevin asking out, um, you know, Steve Nash? has a whole new look staff with three new assistants. Um, what does that look like if he gets off to a bad start? My, my theory with this team right now, as we said, with it being so fun on paper, winning can cure a lot. And I think if they get off to yeah. a hot start and they're healthy and they're rolling and they're whooping ass, I don't really think we're going to be talking about some of the stuff I just mentioned. If there's a big injury or some crazy shit happens, yeah. like it's always seemed to happen – then all bets are off, I feel like, in terms of who stays, who goes, and what we're looking at roster-wise and, and front office and coach-wise in a year. I'm so glad you brought up the contract year stuff because so many of these guys are in contract years. Like, 
Kyrie Irving's in a contract year. Uh, Seth Curry is in a contract year. TJ Warren signed a one-year deal, if I remember correctly. Kind of bet on yourself deal is how I looked at that with him, yeah. Totally. He could be getting a raise if he plays well, yeah. Edmund Sumner, by the way, like a guy. We didn't even get the I really liked project. him before he tore his Achilles. I'm really curious to see what he can do for them. You know, he's he's an athletic wing that you know can help them maybe in a few different areas. He's he's someone I'm very curious to see what he can do. Royce O'Neal has two years left on his deal, probably properly paid at this point. Like mm-hmm. could be an extension candidate. Like could be working to get himself paid. Uh, like there's just a, a lot here, and I, I don't know, man. Like I, I kind of, I'm, I'm here for the nobody believes in us Brooklyn Nets. Like I'm, I think that's a real thing. I, I look, it could all fall apart. We've seen it fall apart with this team very recently, uh, multiple times very recently. Uh, and then there's Ben Simmons, who nobody believes in. And if I was him, I would want to come out and just prove again that I'm one of the 20 best players in the NBA because that's what he's proven in the past. So. This is a team that has three top 20 players in the NBA. They have a deep roster of shooting that fits these guys well. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still in. I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I don't know what the over under is for the Brooklyn Nets this year. We're obviously going to do the Robbie Calland over under, uh, win loss podcast that we do every year on the show. I'm leaning over on the Brooklyn Nets, whatever the number is. <laughs> I, you know, look, now that the schedule's out and you're starting to plan as a beat writer when you're going to be on the road and everything, I think we're going to know a lot about this team by Christmas, if not the first few weeks of December. They open yeah. against the Pelicans and they have the Raptors, but their first two road games are at Memphis and at Milwaukee. You know, Memphis, they played in March right as the vaccine mandate was getting lifted. Everyone's talking about, you know, now they're going to give them a, a serious run and, and then Memphis spanked them out of the building. You know, they have the Clippers and Lakers in a back-to-back in November. I mean, they play a lot of good teams within the first month and a half of the season. Yeah, I think we're gonna know. I think we're gonna know by Christmas whether or not they should have been playing on playing. No, we're gonna know by early December whether or not they should have been playing on Christmas. And again, like if if more of the games I just listed are wins than losses, I think that we're in for an interesting year, and they could legitimately contend if if they can't even compete with some of those teams, or more, there are more losses than than wins then I kind of wonder as the calendar flips what we see January going into February. But we're gonna, I think and, we're going to learn a lot about them quickly. And look, here's the thing. If this team does suck, like, out of the gate, I, I think there is, there's, like, a very real case to fire Steve Nash if this team sucks out of the gate. You know yeah. what I mean? And Kevin Durant could get what he wants, n- not through his own machinations, but just through, like, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Just like the natural progression of a team. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm very yeah. intrigued. You team. know, the, the one thought on Nash, I've been on two camps in that he hasn't been Red Auerbach his first few years, but again, given the crazy hand he's been dealt, we haven't really been able yeah. to see him with a, a full hand. And if they stay yeah. healthy, now we'll see. You know, I've even had people around the league say to me, you know, his adjustments, you don't really see many much on that front. And you kind of wonder – you know, what he's thinking in certain decisions uh, when they're made or not made. I mean, I think, you know, I want to see from him this year, like, first off, we mentioned some of the young guys like Cam Thomas and Dayron, especially as the roster currently sits. Do you see any player development with him taking a guy from one year to another in improvement? What do you see with him in-game adjustment-wise? Do you see him, you know, clean another coach's clock the way Ime Udoka cleaned his in the Celtics series? 
Uh, how does he and coaches better? develop too, by the way, like coaches yes. get better. That's a thing that I think goes often underrated. Like Ime Yudoka got much better from the start of the season to the end of the season. Uh, there's a chance Steve Nash gets better as a coach. And, and this is a whole new staff for him. He has Igor Kokoskov, who's a player development guy who worked with him in Phoenix. You know, good track record there, international experience. Adam Caporn, who was the G League coach last year, strong track record. Not about Adam Caporn, strong Australian man. Great well, dude. I did a story Alan on him Caporn. this summer. You Adam know, he, you look at what he, you would know better than me as a draft guy with all those guys at the Australian Institute, Jock Longdale, Josh Giddy, strong track record there. And then um, Trevor Hendry, who's been a, play, a video coordinator the past few years, first guy on the court, nice dude from Massachusetts, also getting promoted to assistant coach. So this is his staff. This is a deep roster. You know, I think the pressure is going to be there if he and, and you have two guys on the bench in Igor and Jacques Vaughn who've sat in the head coach's chair before. So, you know, I, uh, I'm not in the uh, belief of, you know, when like uh, um, Jason Kidd being the assistant coach of the Lakers, you know, uh, the coach in waiting or whatever when with Frank Vogel. Yeah. But like, I, I do think there is pressure for Steve Nash to prove himself. Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Uh, Alex, do you have anything else before we get out of here? Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, I have two stories this week up on The Athletic about Kevin Durant's trade pullback and the kind of what comes next, when, which we talked about a lot on the podcast. And uh, hopefully you will follow along for the year because it should be a, a wild ride, as it always is, with this team. That's Alex Schiffer. Go read his work at The Athletic. It's terrific. He has multiple stories up, like he just told you. Please go read them. I even dusted off the keys last night and decided to write about the Patrick Beverly, Taylor Horton Tucker deal. I wrote a bunch about Taylor Horton Tucker, particularly. So go read that. Go rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Do it on Apple, Spotify, whatever podcasting platform you use. Please do it. Uh, we'll be back this weekend, probably, unless some sort of crazy trade happens, like if Donovan Mitchell was to get moved or something like that. Then we'll jump in. But we'll be back this weekend with more. Uh, Until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye.